Well, one of the things that I know to be true of every one of us, I think it's safe to say that, is that every one of us, in one way or another, struggles somehow to keep the things that are really important in life at the center of our life. I think that if you think about the people that you connect with, the people that you talk to, just your own experience in life, you will probably agree at the very heart level that that kind of tends to be true. And I've even already talked to people today, this morning already, who reflected some similar things about that as well. And that the things that are on more of the periphery of our life tend to clamor and get attention, wanting to get attention into the center of our lives, and the things that really matter kind of get squeezed out from time to time. And oftentimes those things that are uh, clamoring for attention are even good things. Uh, Sometimes they're distracting things. Sometimes they're just more peripheral things. Sometimes they're even the idols in our lives that actually, if we're honest, replace God in one way or another. And they too clamor for attention in our lives. But they crowd out what should actually be central. I think for most of us, it's probably just the cumulative effect of busy lives. Of responsibilities, of schedules, of expectations, of leaving us wondering, what is it that's really important? Does our life look like this where it's just busy, busy, busy every single day? There doesn't have this any sense of any kind of space that is there. And we really struggle with how we are to understand what God created us to do, what we were really called to lean into that really matters. You know, some of those big questions in life that we don't always give the adequate time to. We can lose sight of them for a long time. I know that it's true because, as I mentioned, I hear it all the time, even hearing some of those kind of reflections even today. And maybe even in a daily form, I hear and you hear those things expressed in one way or another. When people are asked, well, so how are you doing? An often response, as we know as well, you know, I'm really busy. A true statement. Or expressed in different ways like this, I'm drowning in the regret of too many commitments. I dread saying yes, but feel powerless to say no. I hope there's more to life than just my to-do list. I'm a little bit overwhelmed and a lot worn out, is the way a lot of people feel. And then there are those things that that sometimes come out of our mouths that we regret from time to time, that we aren't exactly sure where it came from, but it comes from deep within us that we utter that kind of reveals something. Many of you know that our family had the privilege of of going to Panama this year at Christmas and spending some time down there with Anna and Herlesa and Curtis and Curtis and and so on. And, and in preparation for that trip, it was the weeks prior to Christmas, right before we were going. And as a family, Lisa and the girls, they were trying to find an evening where we could actually open presents together and do that here in our own home and have an evening of Christmas together. And I remember there was just so much going on and it was so stressful. We had all these things that had to be done beforehand and they're trying to find this night and that night. And finally, I've just blurted out, you know what? We don't have time for Christmas. My kids have never let me forget that statement. They remind me over and over again. But, but it reveals something, right? Like it just sort of comes out of the heart of what's going on and what you're feeling and the angst and so on. And then you kind of go, okay, that might be an important thing to make time for. But in our schedules and in our lives, we often go through these seasons and we express things and we hear things that relate to some of these things that we're talking about here in this series. Last week, Maureen began this series and and did a great job just sort of introducing the, the series called White Space. And this need that we have to create room to focus on what really matters. 
In, in white space, if you are somebody who's into graphic design, those who are uh, professional at this and expert at this, not me, uh, tell me that, that in graphic design, it's this idea that you don't fill all the space that's available. You think of a, a white piece of paper, and you don't fill all the margins. You don't fill all the, the place where there's room. You sort of leave some space in order for what is on the page and what you're trying to promote or show actually can kind of stand out and pop. And it actually can, can be seen more evidently, and it's not crowded out and, and cluttered by everything else that's around it. That what really matters doesn't get lost. We need white space. In music, I'm told, it's very similar as well. Again, not an area that I'm that familiar with, but I'm told that the best musicians don't play all the notes. In fact, the best musicians understand that less is often more. And by not playing all the notes and filling all the gaps, you actually get a better sound. Because what really matters stands out. And especially important as a, as a group of people play together. But what about in our own lives? I think this principle is also so true. That we need to have white space in our lives. That we need to create room in our lives for the things that really matter. So that they don't just get crowded out by all these other things that clamor for attention in one way or another. What is it that God has created us uniquely for? What's important in our work in a day-to-day basis as we go to work day after day? What is it that we need to focus on there? What is important in our families and in our relationships that we're missing right in front of us? What's important in our time and how we spend that? We're going to talk more about that next week. We're in a season of Lent right now, and it's an appropriate time to be thinking about this because Lent is really about that as well, of, of removing certain things or even spending some time fasting from certain things in order to give priority to what really matters. Lent is a preparation time for the resurrection. It's a preparation time for this Easter season as we celebrate the life and death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. So now in this season, we want to be asking those questions of how do we create this white space in our lives for what really matters. Marine last week introduced us to the early years of Moses' life and the significant and the unique calling that was on his life as he struggled too with this human condition of understanding what it was that was the unique calling, what it was that was really significant and important in his life. And she started with a question of what's in your heart and the spiritual discipline of paying attention and and even noticing the burning bushes in your life as God tries to get her attention in one way or another, just like God was getting Moses' attention. Moses had this confused identity grew up in the house of Pharaoh, and yet he was a Hebrew baby. He was rescued by his own family, and he, I'm sure, heard the family history and the story as you read that story and you realize the, the way that God orchestrated this, that he's even nursing at the breast of his own mother, even though he grows up in the house of Pharaoh. That's how God rescued him. And how each day and each night as he was nursing, he would hear these stories of the people of Israel and the Hebrew people. And what God has done through the course of history So reminded of that story and that identity that was part of who he was. And yet, growing up in the household of Pharaoh and all the privilege that would be there of Egyptian royalty. He seemed to live in two worlds that were very different. And probably in many ways, he he felt like a stranger in both and that he didn't really fit in either one. So today we want to pick up the story where we left off last week and turn to Exodus chapter 3. And we're going to look at chapter 3 and chapter 4 and some of the texts that are there, and I encourage you to turn in your Bibles uh, to that text. I'm going to start in chapter 3, verse 5, 
and just read where Moses comes to this burning bush. God says to him, Do not come any closer, the Lord warned. Take off your sandals, for you are standing on holy ground. I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. When Moses heard this, he covered his face because he was afraid to look at God. God reminds Moses of who he was. The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And God reminds Moses that he is standing on holy ground because he is in the presence of the living God. And he goes on to give Moses this assignment as you continue to read the story that is one of the most remarkable assignments that has ever been given to a human being. That Moses is given this assignment to take the people of Israel out of the slavery of Egypt and into the promised land and into this desert time even, but he is to shepherd these people in a very unique way. It's an assignment that truly matters because it'll change the course of history as we know it. But God's going to do it using Moses as an instrument of his. And so Moses is a man who eventually we see walks in this obedience, maybe reluctant obedience, but he walks in the greatest Old Testament salvation story that we have. And it points ahead to the greatest salvation story of all time of Jesus Christ and what he did on the cross. And what's interesting is we see right away that that one of the things that crowds out what really matters and one of the things that crowds out our ability to see what's really important in front of our lives are some of those self-doubt things and those human elements that come into our lives that we question, God, how could you mean this for us? How could you call us to this? And Moses experiences that right away and we see that right away in this story. We see him saying, who am I? I'm not good enough. We see that in verse 11 and 12 where he says that. Moses protests to God. Who am I to appear before the Pharaoh? Who am I to lead the people of Israel out of Egypt? And God just simply answers him and says, I am with you. I am with you. And we see in this that it's, it's not about who am I. It's not about who is Moses. It's about whose you are. And that's what God is telling Moses. It's this, I am the living God, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and I will be with you. He goes on to say in verse 14 and 15, he says, I am the great I am. I am who I am. And say this to the people of Israel, I am sent you. He is the God of all generations. But then, more in the form of a poting child than a warrior singled out by a commander for an honorable task, Moses continues to respond and, and to push back and to question God. Not just once, not just twice, but if you read through the story, he does it five times. He said, like, really? Me? Are you sure? I'm not sure about that. I don't think so. And if you look at in chapter 4, verse 1, Moses protests again. And he says, well, what if they won't believe me? Or what if they won't listen to me? What if they say, the Lord never appeared to you? Then the Lord asked him, well, what is it that's in your hand? I don't know about you, but oftentimes in life, when you get presented with an opportunity or maybe there's an obstacle in your life or you feel this calling or this leading that you are to do something or to respond in a certain way, you feel that God is nudging you in that direction and, and one of those responses that can come out is, okay, but, but, but what if? Not only who am I, but, but what if? What, what if this happens? We, we play out all the scenarios in our mind of everything that could go wrong. And instead of entrusting in God and what he's calling us to step into, we play that what if game. Well, well what if this happens? And what if it goes sideways? And what, what, what if it doesn't kind of work out the way that we really think it should work out or what we hope w- will work out? And they, they crowd out these new things that God wants to do in our lives and do in a unique way in us 
and through us. What's interesting here as we read in this story in chapter 4 is that Moses isn't concerned about Pharaoh. He's not so concerned about actually going before the Pharaoh in Egypt and talking to him about what's going on. He's concerned about the people of Israel. His concern is going in front of the elders of Israel, his own people, and convincing them that he's legitimate. Because he's saying, they're not going to think that I have any authority. What if they don't believe that God actually sent me to them? And that's his challenge as he's, he's thinking of even going to his own people. Then there's that, that great response, that simple response that God gives. And God just simply says to him, he says, what's in your hand? What's in his hand is, is a staff. And he says that. He says, well, I, I have a shepherd's staff. And God reminds him that he can do extraordinary things with very ordinary things. He can do extraordinary things with very ordinary people. The shepherd's staff would probably be, on average in that time, about three to six feet tall. It would often have a big hook on it that would uh, be there so that you could actually reach out and grab and rescue some sheep. A shepherd's staff would be there that you could actually poke and prod and move the sheep along in, in different ways. It was also such that you could actually kill snakes with it because it had that thing on the end and you could kind of bludgeon them to death like that, right? No snakes in Panama. That's what we told our girls. <clears throat> um, but a shepherd's staff had all these different functions, all these different roles, all these different purposes that, that, that God was going to use for these things. And then God says, he says, well, throw your staff on the ground. And so Moses throws the staff on the ground. It turns into a snake. And then he, he says, now pick it up again. And, and here's the interesting thing. I only noticed it in this story, and it really stood out for me this time. He, he says, pick it up by the tail. I don't know anything about picking up snakes, but I do know a little bit from people who've done such things that the, the dumbest place that you can pick up a snake is from the tail. Like, you grab it by the head so that it actually can't bite you or do anything. But it's interesting how God says, no, 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 I want you to pick it up by the tail, like the most dangerous place that you actually could, and then he turns it back into his staff. But God asked this question amidst all of Moses' questions about what is it that's in your hand? Moses continues to protest. You read in verse 10, he continues the protest as well about his ability to speak. And he goes, Lord, I've never been any good with words and I've, I, I, I never have been and I'm not good even now. And you have spoken to me. I get tongue-tied and my words get all tangled. He says, I don't know how to use my words well. And he protests and God says, who, do you, who is it that you think created the tongue? Who is it that you think created your ability to speak? It is me. But even in the midst of that it's interesting how God concedes and he gives Moses a concession and he actually says okay you can take your brother Aaron along Aaron's a little bit better at speaking and so you can use him as well as part of your team and and I will use him as well and he allows Aaron to speak on his behalf but then in verse 17 towards the middle of, of chapter 4 God reminds Moses again he goes okay as, as you go even though I'll give you this concession concession of taking Aaron he says don't forget to bring your staff Make sure you bring it along. Because I'm going to use it for some amazing things in the future. And if you follow through and you look at the story of Exodus and the significant role that Moses' staff played in that story, it was the very thing that he held in the air as the sea parted and the people of Israel walked through. And it is the, the instrument that God used 
to show Moses that he can do extraordinary things through very ordinary things. I think it also had some other aspects to it that we want to look at here today. Here's Moses. He's about to leave behind this world of shepherding, but he's not leaving behind all the things that God has taught him in his solitude and in his training. The one who is soon to shepherd God's people had many years of training as a shepherd in this lowly, simple role. And now all that this staff represented was going to be used for something very significantly new. new. This tool of shepherding was now a sign of God's authority. So here's Moses, this Hebrew-born baby turned Egyptian, growing up in the Egyptian household, turned man in exile, turned shepherd, now has an audience with God, and God is saying to him, I'm going to take all of this past, all of that that has gone before you, and I'm going to bring it all forward into the present and use it for a better future. And he gives them this assignment that really mattered, that changed history. But this lowly staff was such a conspicuous player in the events that were to follow. But God says, Moses, don't forget your staff. So my question for you today, my question for us today, is as you struggle with life's challenges, as you struggle with the pressures and demands and the expectations that are there in each of our lives, as you struggle with finding white space in your life and and actually having room to be able to focus on what really matters, the question I want you to ask yourself is what God asked Moses, is this question of, What's in your hand? What is it that you have in your hand? Uniquely you. And I want you to realize that every one of us, every one of you have something uniquely in your hand that God is going to particularly use for his purpose and his glory. So part of how we understand the, the, the way that we move forward in a life full of challenges is we ask this question of, of what is it that's in our hand and that this can be something that helps us create room for what really matters. That nothing in our life has been wasted. That God is able to bring forward all of our experiences, our hurts, our failures, our success, our confusion, our background, our history. And become part of the current ways that God will use you. You know, it begins with even our family of origin and where we come from. That was a big deal for Moses that Marine looked at some last week about just his own identity and, and some of the family and the the way his life began was so unique and how God used all of that. And yet even for us too, we can ask that question. Okay, even just the place that we were born, the, for many of us, born right here in, in Canada. What, what's with that? Why is it that we were born in such a place as this? Why were we born in Carrot River, Saskatchewan? Okay, some of us were. Like, why is it that we are born, like for many of us, born right here in a, in a country of affluence and wealth and prosperity and comfort, and what is it about that that God wants to use in some way? I mean, have you ever wondered that? I wonder that so often. Why wasn't I born in Syria? Why wasn't I born in regions of Africa? Why wasn't I born in the slums of India or some of the poorest regions of Peru? Or pick your country. Pick your place, your location. Why were we born in such a place as this? What are we to do with that? Now, the people born in these regions that I just mentioned, even the poorest places in the world, they too have something in their hand that is very unique that God can use for his bigger purposes. It's not like they don't have that. My point is, is that it's different for every one of us. So for those of us who are born in a place of privilege, in a place like Canada, the question for us is, okay, God, what are you wanting to do with that? What are you calling us to? 
Moses, he also struggled with this, this dual identity and this identity confusion. Am I Egyptian? Am I Hebrew? And the, and the truth was is that, that he is both. And God used this dual identity. He used his dual backgrounds for his bigger purposes. And it actually gave him platform and a place and a way to enter into some different places that other people maybe couldn't. The last 10 days, uh, some of you are aware, uh, many of you maybe not aware, here in this building and throughout the cities, there's uh, been something called Soar Saskatchewan. And MB Mission has been leading this, but we've had different churches from around uh, the province that have been here, and we've had our own team here, and, and uh, a leadership team and an on-ground team here that's just served amazingly here and, and giving leadership in the facility and the program and the kitchen and all kinds of places. And it was just a tremendous week. I wasn't that involved, but just talking to some of those people who were involved in the impact of it was profound. But I had the opportunity to step in here on, on Wednesday night and in the evening, uh, Dallas Pelly, who many of you know, he's part of our church. Dallas Pelly shared some of his story of, of being, uh, and he had his mom there and his aunt there. And he, he was talking about reconciliation between First Nations people and, and other people. And Dallas shared some of his story about the identity confusion even that he grew up with of, of being this First Nations kid and then now becoming a believer in Jesus Christ and how do I reconcile these two and kind of walk with these two together and also the realization that is increasingly upon him that God is giving him some unique position and opportunity to step into some things that other people could not step into because there is something very unique in Dallas's hand that God has given him opportunity to use for kingdom purposes that's very significant I think for every one of us, we have those unique opportunities, those unique backgrounds, those unique identities, even some of our confusion in some of those things. But the journey that we go on that God can use in a unique way, that you have opportunities and doors that you can walk through that nobody else can. Which is why God needs the body and he uses the church in that way. So what's in your hand in terms of your identity, your family of origin, your place of birth? How does God want to use that for things that really matter? What about all that you've experienced? All your experiences, your childhood, your education, your work, your pain points, the valleys, the mountaintops, the good, the bad, the whatever. But God can bring all of those things forward too. But the question for us is, do we see them? Do we see them as part of what's in our hand to be used by God? Or do they too get lost in the clutter in some way? And many of you know parts of my story and for me, what was uh, just a challenging call to pastoral ministry. And, and f- so for me, this is the only church I've ever pastored in. I still feel at times I don't have a clue what I'm doing. But it's like, okay, God, you've called. Let's just walk. I saw Chandra nodding there. Thank you. Um, but uh, the, uh, the reality is, is that, you know, I, I come from a background of coaching and athletics. And yes, I had gone to Bible school and church ministry and but my further education was in nonprofit governance, and I'm kind of going, okay, God, what's this all about? And, and then God calls, in a sense of humor, into pastoral ministry. And yet, I'm continually amazed <laughs> at the ways that God can take all of your experiences from the past, whether it's in coaching or other things, and, and he brings them forward and he uses them for his bigger purposes going forward. And I, I too, went through all kinds of seasons, still struggle at times, where this whole thing of, okay, God, who am I? What do I have to offer? What is it that you're calling me to do? And I remember for me, a big game changer for me was when I recognized, okay, I can only do this, Lord. And it was sort of this deal I made with God. God, if you're going to call me into pastoral ministry, I can only do it if I can be me. And I'm sure God was kind of going, uh, duh. Maybe God doesn't do that. I don't know. 
But, but of course, it's like, of course, just be you. That's how I created you. But when we get in our head, we've got to be somebody else, or we have to be something else, or we have to be that kind of pastor or person or whatever, or Christian that other people expect, and we have to live up to other people's expectations and stereotypes and all these things that are placed on us, that it starts to kill and to crowd out and to squelch those very things that God has placed in our hand to use for his purposes. So I think what we need to recognize is that God has called each one of us uniquely to serve in a unique setting, in a unique way, whatever that is. And he brings our past experiences forward for his use. See, experience is something that is a great educator if it's examined experience. We don't take time to actually uh, set aside time to kind of evaluate and assess and say, okay, God, how are you using and how do you want to use what I experienced back there in ways going forward? Then we really lose sight of what that experience can be used for. But examined experience is when we actually take time and we allow God to speak into our lives about some of the things that we've gone through in life, the pain points, the hurt, the disappointments, the successes, the failure, whatever they are, the experience, the education, whatever we've kind of gone through, that God can use that as we evaluate that experience and say, God, how do we hold that openly in our hands to be used by you? And it's those very things that God so often takes and he uses for his bigger purposes, for things that really matter. It's a great educator and a great uh, thing that points us to what God wants to do. God did that with Moses. He, he took all of his past in Egypt as a shepherd, in exile, of being slow in speech, and he used all of it for his bigger purposes. Ruth Haley Barton, she says it this way. She says, every single thing that didn't make sense when it happened, that seemed too harsh or too random or too shameful, now finds its place in the storyline that brought us here. And that's the beauty of what God does in our lives and how he can redeem our experiences and our history and bring it forward and use it for bigger purposes going forward. Is that God takes all of those things and he brings it into the current and into the future. All of them can be redeemed by God, used for his bigger purposes for what really matters. These are the things that we hold in our hand and we just have to be asking the question of God, how do you want to use this? Am I holding it loosely enough? Am I seeing it accurately enough? Am I being willing and available as Moses eventually was? You know, when we talk about the call of God, sometimes that's a a term and a phrase that that gets confusing and muddy for people. And I would just maybe boil it down to, to two simple things. Not simple, but two profound things. And when we are called by God, it really involves salvation and vocation. First, that we are called by God as, as sinners into his kingdom, redeemed by the blood of Christ. But then we are also called into vocation, into a very unique service in the kingdom. And that doesn't mean that you're in a paid pastoral position. That means that every single one of us as followers of Christ are called into the vocation of God in his kingdom work. And that the unique experiences and gifts and wirings and uh, passions and personalities and all that we are and all that we bring is used by God for his glory and his purposes for his service. So God just wants us to be more aware of that which is part of our lives, to process that which we need to process, to heal that from which we are broken still, and to move forward in a way that God can only do because of what he has done on the cross. To become Uniquely ourselves, fully the person God called us to be by the work of his spirit. 
but even to transcend, transcend that by the power of his spirit, alive in us, to do more things and have more impact than we would ever imagine or could do in an, our own strength. Because just like Moses, it's God at work within us. But the reality is, and what we're trying to get to in this series, is that so much clutters our lives and so much crowds those things out and we don't get a chance to see them and to understand them. And yet God is continually saying, as he says to Moses, what is it that's in your hand? We need to see this again. You have many things in your hand. You have many things that you don't even fully realize that God wants to use and is using in ways that you don't even fully see. And that's part of walking in faith with God. In Exodus 3.12, God said to Moses, he says, I am with you. If you jump ahead to Matthew 28 and the great commission of Jesus as he's preparing his disciples for his departure and leaving his Holy Spirit among them, and he, he says to them the very same words. This is the same living God saying the very same words to his people. And just like God said to Moses, Jesus says to his disciples, he says, I am with you always, even to the ends of the age. And it's this truth, the powerful truth of the reality of his Holy Spirit within us. And it's because of what was in Jesus' hands that we can do all that is in our hands. Because in his hands were the scars of the cross. His hands were this overcoming of death. And that we don't have to fear death anymore. And that we don't have to live in our sin and baggage anymore. That we can have freedom now and, and once and for all. That we can move beyond those things that continually hold us back because of the scars and the very things that were in Jesus' hands, that he overcame death, overcame the grave, that his spirit was with, within us. And we just need to be available and willing and step forward in faith and in courage. Today, I just want you to ask that question, what's in your hand? Don't forget your staff. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for the incredible stories that we see in Scripture of real people walking in real faith. With all their faltering humanness and all their inhibitions and all their struggles and all their obstacles that they saw. And we can so often see ourselves and people like Moses who have all these protests and say, Okay, God, who am I? I'm not worthy. Am I good enough? I don't know. Or we, we get debilitated by our past and things that hold us back and they just hold us there as an anchor instead of bringing them to the cross and having you deal with them. And Lord, I pray that for each person here that you would help us to see in a new way that you have uniquely gifted and uniquely called each one. And that every one of us has so much to offer, more than we would imagine, not because we are so great, but because of whose we are. So Lord, I pray that you would help us with humility to see what's in our hands from our lives, to see the unique positions that you've placed us in. And God, to leverage those for your kingdom and your purposes and that we could focus our lives on things that really matter. God, forgive us when we get so distracted by the clutter. And God, help us to see more of you and to walk in courage and in faith in that truth. We pray this in the powerful name of Jesus. Amen.